0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Innovation Scholar podcast coming to you from the University of Charleston in West Virginia. My name is Eli Hughes, and I'll be your host for today's episode. And with me today, I have coach Robbie Britt from the University of Charleston men's baseball team. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Eli. I appreciate the opportunity to be on with you. Oh, uh, yeah, no problem. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, like how, where you're from, how'd you get here? It's that kind of sort of thing. Yeah, a long winding path to uh, get to Charleston. Um, Really,
1: my first chance to be in Charleston was when I was an assistant at Middle Tennessee State. So I was there from uh, 2015 through 2018, and we played Marshall at the Power Park. They were in our conference, Conference USA. And so we actually trained one Thursday night at the old Triana Field. And I remember walking on that field back when it was a natural surface and thinking, like, oh, boy, this is this is a real college baseball field. And, um, you know, I knew the head coach at the time, Andrew Wright, and so I had even more admiration for what he was doing because of the surface that they were playing on. But I remember making the comment to my wife, a uh, girlfriend at the time, that uh, I would never work in the state of West Virginia. And it was just a cold March weekend, you know, cloudy. The sun didn't shine at all. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, that rain that just sits on your skin and, and freezes your body. And um, we won three games against Marshall, which was good. But other than that, it was a pretty tough weekend. And so I remember making that comment. And then it's just you know God's sense of humor. A couple years later, I get hired here as the head coach. So um, I'm originally from Knoxville, Tennessee, or Maryville, which is a suburb of Knoxville. My wife's from the Nashville area. And um, you know, after being an assistant at Middle Tennessee and then being a high school U.S. history teacher, um, I got hired here in fall of 2019. And now we're going on year four together.
0: Wow. That's great. I remember the old field as well. I think uh, this new field's a lot lot better than the old field. Yeah,
1: we're, uh, we're so lucky, you know, and I talk about that all the time, like the foundation that guys like Andrew, uh, you know, and Tom Nazika, some of the coaches that were instrumental, and of course people like Brent Stevens and Sherry Reed who have helped fundraise and develop that, that uh, the Welch Athletic Complex in honor of Dr. Welch. Like we're just incredibly fortunate, you know, and I know all the sports that play there um, – you know, we're, we're really lucky. And I know the dream was always like, we're going to host a regional. That was what Bren said on my interview. She's like, Hey, one day we're going to host a regional here. And I was proud to say that we did that in 2021 for the first time in our baseball 118 year uh, baseball history. And so, you know, I know soccer obviously with their success, um, you know, Todd with, with his success on the women's soccer side, and then Melanie who's growing an incredible women's lacrosse program Um, kind of a grassroots effort on her part like nobody works probably harder than Mel does in our department and so you know uh, I think we honor Dr. Welch I think we honor the tradition of Blackwell Field, Triana Field with just the, the teams
0: that play there and the way that we go about our business. Yeah, well you had some big shoots feel with uh, Coach Wright, you know, he's in the Yankees organization now, so Yeah. And somehow you topped him with the regional. So Well, I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> that
1: guy that guy did some great work and um you know, we've we've always talked about elevating the program in a number of capacities and so, you know, our thing is we wanna win in three arenas the arena of classroom, competition, and community. And so And if you follow our program, we do a thousand hours of community service every year. We just had our big fall community service event where we participated in Bible Center's Trunk or Treat. And uh, the stat that they gave was that one-fifth of the city of Charleston would be on their church campus that evening. And so we served a fifth of our city's population, a lot of kids, uh, of course, some dressed up adults too. But, you know, we serve in a number of different capacities, that being one example. And then I'm proud to say like the classroom arena, you know, we've had six straight semesters of a 3.0 plus team GPA. And so I think that's one area where we have elevated the program um, is is in the classroom, uh, of course, honoring our community and then you know, on the field, too. We've we've had uh, two conference championships, two regional appearances, and, um, you know, hopefully more to come.
0: Yeah, I hope. I hope. And the, the expectations are high now. So <laughs> let's hope you can... Thanks. Nobody's ever told me that before, so... <laughs> but don't worry. Here on the podcast, we shoot it straight. That, so. that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> all right. So getting to the innovation portion of the podcast here. That's why we're all here anyways, right? Yep. So, uh, you know, baseball, even like professional baseball, even... You know, you see like Pitchcom coming around, all these different types of innovations and things and the analytics, you know, trend and the wave. How has uh, the UC's baseball team embraced the analytics of this day and age?
1: Yeah, I think we, I would say when Andrew was here, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think we were on the cutting edge in terms of Division II and, and using analytics. Um, and, and what I would say is that we, as, as time has gone on and more programs have started to use software and and tracking devices and analytics, uh, we've become more intentional with how we've used it. And so at the beginning, before anybody else was using it, we were an early adopter. We were using all sorts of different things like Rapsodo and Blast Motion. And now we've really just tried to be even more intentional with what we use, on which players we use it on, and how we go about using it. So for instance, like our Blast sensors you know, we used to have one for every hitter. Now we've got like six in the program, and we use them very selectively. If we see something or if other data is telling us or suggesting something with a certain player, then we'll stick that sensor on the bottom of his bat, and we'll have him you know, go through a two-week period, and we'll gather his swings, and then we'll look at his hand speed or his connection score, and we'll say, all right, is this telling us what the stats or what the data or the video we was telling us or what we thought was telling us? And so... Um, that's kind of how we use a lot of our tech. You know, we have introduced some new things. Like, uh, you know, we are now the second program in the state of West Virginia. The only other one is WVU to have in-stadium track man. So it's a sensor that sits up a, on top of your press box and tracks everything that you do. It can give you umpire reports. It can give you defensive reports, which is really the hardest thing to track in analytics because you have so many different variables, alignment, player type, position type, Um, but with TrackMan and the new model that they've come out, the V3 sensor, um, it allows you to track all that. So we're excited to explore things like defensive range, um, defensive uh, efficiency in terms of route efficiency, as well as, you know, I think uh, even just creating a great environment. We're going to be able, any umpire that works a game at our place will be able to get a report as soon as the game's finished. And I think that'll help make everybody better. We're excited about that.
0: That's that's huge, you yeah. know. I think of all the colleges, universities in the state, and then only WVU has what we have. Yeah. So,
1: and I think we'll be one of. Ta- I think we'll be one of maybe eight or ten Division II programs in the country that have it. So, wow. um, you know, again, it's just it is trying to think on the cutting edge and and be um, an early adopter in certain things. But I think it's also really trying to be more intentional about how we use the technology that we're afforded. Right.
0: Yeah, well that's that's crazy. So, does you see the guys like do you guys uh, embrace like the shift and things based off what the analytics? Tell you, are you? Oh yeah. So you're a fan of that the shift? Yeah,
1: we have a, a an, again another tool that we use called Six Four Three Charts, and uh, when I was at Middle Tennessee State, we used we were a pilot school for Six Four Three. So the guy that started the company was an assistant at a rival school in the state. He left that school and, and started Six Four Three Charts. So I've used it for about seven or eight years. And the data just keeps getting more and more um, consistent and accurate. And so we use that for a lot. What it does is it produces basically advanced scouting reports. And so it can tell you, hey, this guy uh, you know, hits the ball to the pool side a lot. So he's a pool side lefty. It gives you a run score. He might be a moderate or an average runner. And so that's going to determine uh, where we play the shortstop, where we play the second baseman, how do we shift our outfielders, do we bring our left fielder in to take away a flare, or does he have what they call an, a great ISO score, which means he can bang the ball around the yard a little bit. Maybe we need to play a little deeper. Um, and so, you know, utilizing technologies like that has allowed us to to definitely play the shift with a lot of success. And so, yeah, if you come watch us play in the spring, um, you know, we are going to shift probably 85% of the time. And now it's not always taking the opposite defender over the bag, but sometimes it's a, a light shift. Sometimes it's a shade in the outfield. But
0: we're shifted on just about every single – uh, pitch of the game. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Well, I know some of my friends I went to high school with are on the baseball team. I played baseball, baseball with them growing up and things. And uh, I'm not sure I haven't looked at your roster for this year or not. But you know, here in like Appalachia and West Virginia, people tend to resist the change. So, are are the players? Do they embrace the analytics, or are they kind of hesitant at first? Or how does that work?
1: Yeah, I think part of that starts in the recruiting process. So. Uh, we, 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 of course, want to be really good at player development, but it really starts with player selection. And so bringing into our organization people that um, uh, have they, they have differing levels of excitement when you talk about analytics, um, but showing them how it can help their game and them just being open or growth-minded is, is step one. So if they're growth-minded – then you, you have a platform to work from. And so we do a lot of evaluation in the recruiting process to gauge, not is this guy interested in analytics necessarily, but is he open to exploring different things? Because even if it's not related to analytics, if he's open to change or if he's growth-minded in nature, then it at least gives us a foundation to where we're going to be able to say, yeah, we can work with this guy. We can help develop him. He's going to be open to our suggestions. And I think when guys get in the program, even if they do resist it early on, uh, there's a, you know, being a freshman in the fall is difficult here, especially in our competitive environment. And so when you fail, all of a sudden you start to look for, hey, maybe Coach wasn't such an idiot. Maybe he, <laughs> maybe he was onto something with this analytics stuff. And so, um, you know, I think they're just great tools that we can use. And most of our players are, are really good about, um, you know, uh, using those, you know. And I think as coaches, we have to meet the players where they're at. So we have to understand that some pitchers – They don't want to know every single uh, stat or statistic or advanced metric for every hitter that steps in the box. And so as coaches, we have to use that data uh, in the background, and then we have to feed the players what they either want or what they can handle. And so that's where, you know, building great relationships and really understanding how your players best learn, how do they understand and analyze certain situations, that allows you to be a more effective coach. And so we've tried to marry those two together, finding players that are growth minded and then on our side, meeting them where they're at and feeding them what they want in terms of analytics.
0: Yeah, Well, that takes a lot of emotional intelligence on the coach's end. To realize you know what players you know are accepting and rejecting of. So,
1: well, I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> uh, my wife might uh, differ on, on her opinion on that sometimes, <laughs> right? But, but no, I, I think uh, you know that's again it goes back to hiring great staff too. So even with the staff that we bring in, you know, there's certain people that are great baseball coaches, but they just won't fit at Charleston, and I think that's held true even when Andrew was here. You know, even with past coaches, is this is just a different place, whether it's the location, uh, the community. like Everybody that comes up to our athletic department talks about the collaborative spirit of our coaches and how we work together and how it's not like that everywhere else. So if you're not a collaborative person or if you don't value that in your coaching style – uh, then you're just not going to work out here. And that doesn't mean that you're a bad coach. And the same is true on the analytics side, on the emotional intelligence side. So when we interview coaches, when we sort of take them through that process to see if they would be a good fit, we are looking at their EQ. We're looking at, hey, is, does this person you know, have the ability to uh, – are, are they uh, are they self-actualized? Are they confident in who they are? Are they secure in who they are? What do their communication skills look like? Do they have empathy for what people go through uh, because – Again, that's going to all play itself out in front of our student athletes. And, you know, we're on a quest to provide an elite student athlete experience. And so uh, there's a lot of different things that go into it, EQ definitely being one of them. Yeah. Well,
0: Mike, that's great. So we, we touched on earlier how uh, Major League Baseball is now using PitchCom for their pitches and things. Uh, do you have any plans for our team to ever get into that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, so we've tinkered with it this fall. Uh, we have just a basic like Amazon walkie-talkie that we've taped to our catchers, and it's got a little earpiece. And uh, Coach Menton Maddox, our pitching coach, he's uh, tinkered around a little bit with that some this fall. And uh, the, the the thing for us is that we've always allowed our catchers to call the games, so it really hasn't in the past made sense for us to have that. But I do think the more that I talk with fellow coaches that are using it. There are alternative ways that we can use pitch calm. For instance, instead of taking a mound visit, you know, we can just feed it through the catcher's ear, and he can have a nonverbal to the pitcher to say, hey, you know, your body direction's bad, or hey, step off, take a deep breath, get back on the mound, and let's attack. Um, whatever the case might be, we can even echo into the, the catcher's ear and say, hey, ask the umpire, was that a ball off, or where was that pitch? And then he can give us a nonverbal back to the dugout without ever having to look at the umpire, without ever having to make a scene. So there are a number of uses for, for a pitch com type communication system that I think we'll incorporate at some point, uh, even if we're not calling the pitchers or calling the pitches for our pitchers.
0: Yeah, well, that's great. That's great. So kind of transitioning off the subject of baseball for a moment. Um, so a part of innovation is entrepreneurship, or I should say, yeah, yeah innovation is part of entrepreneurship. And uh, I've been made aware that you have started your own company called Culture House. Yep and would you like mind tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so the, the roots of Culture House uh, is, I was 23 years old, an assistant at Middle Tennessee State, and I had this little studio apartment that was, it was, two, it was a two-lane road from campus to my apartment. So I'd walk to work and it was this old kind of office building, tile floors, cinder block walls. It was nasty. I mean, I, I remember coming back from a, a road trip. We played Rice, which is in Houston. So you fly back to Nashville, 40 minute bus ride, you get home at 2 a.m. It was like the first warm weekend of the spring, and so I take my keys out, shine my flashlight on the door, and there's spiders everywhere. I mean, it was just a, Ugh. it was a tough place, and and That's being, rough. being a young assistant coach, I think people think college coaching, especially at the D1 level, is glamorous, and I can attest that it is it is not, um, <laughs> in many regards. So, you know, anyway, so I'm in this studio apartment, and I just took out a piece of paper and I started thinking about, all right, well, what makes a great culture, um, and I. I compared it to a house. I started drawing a house. And if you're going to have a strong culture, uh, you got to have a strong foundation. And then, all right, well, every culture has core values. Well, what's the core values of your house? What holds the house up? It's your pillars. And some people call them pillars. You know, the roof. What does the roof do? It provides protection. So that's your ability to be resilient and overcome adversity. The windows are perspective. All sorts of different things things, I just started drawing out. And over the years, that has developed into ultimately what I named our, our company. And what we do is um, we empower leaders and we inspire excellence. And so my job is whether it's coaching, consulting, speaking, you know, I want to empower the next generation of people that move the world forward. And I want to inspire them to be the best they can be when they put their feet on the floor every day. And so a lot of the things that we use with our team inside of the baseball classroom here at Charleston, I've been able to take outside of those walls and pour into business leaders, uh, other coaches, uh, high school students. And being a former classroom teacher myself, I'm very passionate about that line of work as well. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, There's a number of events that I've got lined up here as the fall closes down, kind of going into the winter time. I'm speaking at a couple coaches' conventions as well as a high school in Cleveland, Ohio that I'm doing a one-day deal with. And so, uh, you know, I really enjoy that. It kind of provides energy to my soul, and I feel like I am making a difference in the the world. So um, I've enjoyed
0: starting and, and growing Culture House. Yeah, that's great. Um, so it sounds like you're already trying to expand it beyond, uh, you know, University of Charleston. here. Yeah,
1: I, th- I think this place, you know, gives you such a great platform, and, and it's such a um, – again, I've called it unique on multiple occasions, and I do think it's unique. I think the person that I work for, Dr. Stevens, she's unique. She's great. She's incredible, right? And not every athletic director is like that. So I call her unique, just in her ability to um, promote us and to help us uh, in, in whatever it is that we need to do. I think her being a former coach definitely helps that. She's got some empathy Uh, for what we go through on a daily basis. But, you know, just the the, the supportiveness of the community, all of those things, it it provides a great platform. And, you know, my thing has been, I want to be known as Robbie Britt, the leader. And I I think you can be a good leader in anything if you're a good leader in one thing. So there's no such thing as just uh, a great CEO, but he's cruddy in everything else that he does, right? The success kind of leaves clues. And so my goal is, you know, I want to be able to, Spread what I've learned and what I'm learning because I'm on this leadership journey too. I want to spread what I've learned with people outside of these walls and expand the things that I think we do well at Charleston. I want to try to expand those
0: things to other people. Yeah, I think that's a great mission and a great uh, life purpose I think you possess. So that's a good job on that one. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Um, I've noticed also too um, on your LinkedIn page, I, I follow you on there, and I've noticed I've read some of your articles that you've written and for anyone who hasn't read his LinkedIn or his articles, it all basically began with the view from your kitchen window or your house, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh,
1: the newsletter, we call it the leader's window. And again, it kind of is a, uh, a leg of Culture House. It's something that I really enjoy doing. And the, the premise is we have this chair uh, at our, we have a, like a standing table in our kitchen and our house is an older home and uh, there's this big window and you're sort of up on top of the hill. And so in the morning, you can kind of look out and see the sunrise as it's coming up. And then on the other side, in the evening, you can see the sunset. And so I'm an early riser. Uh, I've always been that way. And I love nothing more than before the kids wake up, before my wife wakes up, like it's just me and a cup of coffee. And I think that's where I do some of the best reflecting. Um, And so I started writing this weekly newsletter, and it really started as me – doing it for myself, doing it as a way to express what I was feeling, express what I was thinking. And then I think part of uh, growing up uh, on your leadership journey is throwing your thoughts out there, even if they're not necessarily ready to be thrown out there. And so I've just started putting them out, even if I don't feel good about it, even if uh, like, I know I need to become a better writer. So even if it's not perfect, just putting it out there and maybe it helps somebody and you know, I've gotten so much good feedback, and I'm, I'm so appreciative of all the people that, that read it. And, uh, you know, I hope that it helps them along their journey, too.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the topics you covered during those, I, I went through and read them before we came here today. And I, you, know, you talk about, you know, like being right within your soul. And yeah. you wrote one about Halloween the other night, I saw. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I think
1: it, hopefully it shows a little bit of my personality. You know, I am a proud uh, minivan dad, so I drive. Nice. You know, we have a Honda Odyssey that we bought this summer, and so I wrote one on— you know, kind of being able to put your ego aside and embracing, uh, you know, the, the, the growth that happens in our life. And part of that for me was, you know, I had to give up my Chevy truck, which one day I will get back, oh, right? That's tough. But, uh, you know, I had to do what was in the best interest of our family's organization. And I love driving the minivan. And sometimes some of those things that don't always uh, get you fired up at first, end up being things that you're really passionate about if you just change your perspective and you know I think about the the fortune that I have to raise three children Uh, I have a daughter and two sons and to be married and to have you know a home and a great work community and so you know if I was really wrapped up in the Chevy truck like I'm sure my wife would have let me keep it and we you know we'd figure it out but um I love driving the minivan, so yeah, there's a lot of those things. You know, I'm not a big Halloween guy. I uh, don't like getting scared. So. But I talked about fear, you know, right. and how uh, 92% of the things that we uh, perceive to be fearful uh, usually don't happen. 92% of those things don't happen. So, you know, get over your fear, step out in faith, and, you know, great things can happen.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So where can anyone access your Culture House material or book you for an appointment or anything?
1: Yep. So the best way to reach out is um, uh, on Twitter or Instagram, at CoachRB6. And so uh, I really respond well with DMs. I work well inside of that. And um, I do try to put some content out, especially on Twitter. So threads, obviously the newsletter. And then I'm working on a website right now. Uh, it'll be Empower, Inspire in some capacity. So it'll have the words empower and inspire. Um, but people can access that through my Instagram, uh, bio or, uh, Twitter as well. So I'd love to reach out to anybody that, uh, you know, or reach out to me if, if there's anything that I can do to ever support or help your leadership journey.
0: Yeah. Well, that, that sounds great. And so I see we're reaching our time here for, for this episode. And I really appreciate you having you on here. Can you give me a final outlook of how well our baseball team is going to do this season? (laughs) Uh, Bad timing because I
1: – it's it's well known in the office. I think we're going to be bad every year. So, oh. um, you know, I said the same thing last year. You know, I think the fall is really difficult just because there's new personalities. And as the leader, you're accountable for everything. And it's really – there's a lot of transition. There's always new coaches, always new players. And so the fall is really where um, – it's it's really how the sausage is made, right? It's dirty work. There's a lot of, um, and I think it's healthy. But our guys get after each other in the fall. It's very competitive. It's somewhat cutthroat in terms of, you know, the the, the players. Sometimes they're gonna they're going to yell at each other on the field. That's okay. I think it's healthy um, because what it builds is is hopefully a really strong, well knit team in the spring. So um, right now we're a work in progress, but. Um, as I think we've shown in twenty one and twenty two, you know, as long as our guys come together, do what they're supposed to do, um, and they have a high standard for themselves and, and play the game the right way, you know, we're gonna have a chance to have some success. And you know, I think the winning on the field is outward validation of an inward belief. And we we know inside what we're capable of, the talent that's inside of that room, the way that we go about our business every day. Winning on the field is a byproduct, and it's, it's really outward validation of something that we already know. And so our job is to uh, go write the story. You know, the, the pages are already there. You know, we have the pen. We just have to write the story. So I look
0: forward to uh, helping be the author of that story this spring. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. So with that, we have come to the conclusion of today's episode Uh, from the University of Charleston, the Innovation Scholar Podcast. I'm Eli Hughes. Thank you, everyone.